Hi, I'm Katerina and this is Sound Effects, a new music and mental health podcast. Brandon appeared on the Oasis podcast recently with a really um, heartfelt story about developing testicular cancer when he was 36 years old after many, many years of pursuing a dream to be in a band, which he managed to do very successfully, actually. Fortunately, when the band were really going to make it big, Um, he discovered that he had testicular cancer and he was on the Oasis podcast um, a couple of months back talking about that and um, and it was a really, really, really moving episode. In the middle of this, you know, the band moving forward, momentum, we had like, you know, the records made, we got these, you know, these big shows at the Viper Room, we're getting booked and we're getting attention and, you know, all of a sudden there's management coming in and and there's record A&R coming to your, a couple shows and then, and then we have a we had a radio interview with a, a, a thing called Q Music, which is out of Belgium. It's kind of like they got this 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 that's he's like the Ryan Seacrest of Europe. This guy, but he had a, he had a station here, a satellite thing for the summer. He was doing the show from here, and he saw one of our concerts, and invited us on for an interview. The band, and he played some of the record that we had, and we talked. And it was a, it turns out it was a television show. I had no idea. I thought we were just going for a radio interview. And I said, you know, hey, you're on TV, and smile, and we'll record you guys and talk about the record. And they're like, wow, things are going great. Finally, after all this work and all the, you know, these songs and crafting and putting all this time into it, you know, maybe something's going to pay off. And then two weeks later, I, I got diagnosed with cancer. And it just, everything just, and everything in your life comes to a grinding halt. And, and this life-changing thing, this, this sickness, this illness that you hear that word, it has so much power to it. You know, the C word, you know, they say that, you know, cancer scares mm-hmm. the shit out of everybody. I mean, it scared mm-hmm. the shit out of me, you know, and it was just one of those things that I ended up getting diagnosed with testicular cancer, which is, they call it the young man's cancer. You know, it, it kind of yeah. peters off with cases of about 36, and I was at that age. And um, he ended up uh, setting up a GoFundMe fundraising page to raise funds to create a music album of uplifting songs created by himself um, and his band that he can sell um, to put the money towards other people who might be um, suffering from cancer, not just testicular cancer but any kind of cancer. And the idea behind it is that positive music really gets people through as it did with him. And um, that episode had thousands and thousands of hits. Um, He raised thousands of pounds towards the cause. You can still listen to that episode now. You can find it at Oasis Podcast. It's the episode with Brandon Arendt. And you, you can still download that on iTunes and Spotify. And on Audio Boom, where the Oasis Podcast is hosted. And 
if you do donate, there's a link underneath it where you can actually still donate. You can also do that on this podcast here, and I've put all the links up underneath this podcast. Ultimately, we are continuing this campaign for fundraising for his album, and if you do click on the link and donate any amount of money, it doesn't matter how much. But just to get back to why I'm actually interviewing Brandon on this episode, on this podcast, I wanted to talk to him more about music as recovery. It's relevant because we're talking about music and mental health in the sense of getting into the mindset of a musician and we know a lot about the physical sides of cancer but we don't necessarily talk about what goes on internally, mentally, emotionally and how music can have an effect and what happens when the ability to listen to that music and when your ability to play that music is taken away from you. So that's coming up next. Just to put this into context, that you're Brandon Arendt and you were on the Oasis podcast and congrats because you're like the most downloaded, you beat Tony McCarroll for the most downloaded episodes of all. <laughs> it listens, yeah, listens. this was, talking about a smash success on, a, <laughs> on a, the longest podcast on the Oasis podcast that, that he had released and, you know, we were both kind of like, here's this story. We had been in contact for a while. Um, and we're like, well, this, he's like, I've been looking to kind of partner up with some sort of charity thing. And, and, and I had come to him once about, you know, he's like, I like new music from people that are influenced. I'm like, uh, when I heard the first episode, after, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, my, uh, that would, maybe this, you know, that fit in so well over there. I'll send over a link to some of the, the stuff. And I just kind of, just generally summed up what had happened. It, was, it wasn't even, you know, part of the discussion of why I was writing to him. I was just seeing if he wanted to play a tune or something. Yeah. And then he heard that and he jumped on it. He's like, wait, this is, are you kidding me? He's like, I actually want to, can we make an episode about this story? <laughs> and then as I think about it, I'm like, okay, this is a big thing because it was already mm-hmm. lined up to launch my fundraiser was coming up. You know, I knew it was going to be in a couple months and I was getting my strength back from the recovery from testicular cancer you know as almost a two-year mark it took that long for me to physically and spiritually and emotionally you know take on something i you know it's an endeavor it's a lot of work and it's a lot of uh, communication and energy exchange and that's the thing about even even being positive and and as 99 percent of the exchanges have been there is a level of, of how much my i can my you know just i get worn down very quickly um and and I still have that you know my stamina is not re, is not there on either the physical or mental side, and it was always interesting. I'm like, oh, I, you know, you can focus on things for quite some time, and I have to make sure I have my day structured and my and my and my and my you know my daily routine structured. Like this much time to this, because you know if you go too much, it'll it'll mess and interfere with the things down the road that later that day. Yeah. So I was like, okay, let's do this, and then we like we had to keep postponing. We recorded it. And the conversation obviously just went 
the, the rapport was like that, this thing where it's like, it was a lot of, it was very and it, great to tell the story. It was uh, getting across a lot of stuff that through humor and, 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 and the stories about, you know, Oasis and things from the past mm-hmm. and interactions with the Beatles and um, something about it, I guess it, uh, it just took, what do you, what do you, I mean, what's the, who's to say? Because the responses that have been coming down the pipe mm-hmm. on the private side from people are so amazing and so uplifting to myself that there's this, um, you know, amount of inspiration and positivity being interjected into people's lives. And that was the whole point of that episode. We're like, if one person gets affected by this in a yeah. good way, because it, what, what else could I ask for? You know, it's like, we, we launch a fundraiser. If nobody gives any money, that's fine. You know, we didn't know, and we didn't know how long, you know, and nobody knew that, that like a th- two, th- almost a three hour podcast would be so, people would listen to it to the end, you know, mm-hmm. from start to finish. People that I don't even know, you know. I've had about 30 people or more now, and every day I get one or two um, at, write me through Twitter, uh, Facebook, Messenger, you know, wherever they can get a hold of me from where they heard the podcast, and they continually get, list, continually get listened to, mm. and these, these guys show up who have friends, or it's themselves, friend of a friend, someone told them, I got a problem downstairs, I got this, I have cancer, I'm, I'm going through right now. Can you help me figure out what should I eat? You know, tell me about your experience some more. Anything you can give me, I'm you know, I'm really struggling with this. And that's the thing is, the point is they didn't know. And I, you know, having the right, right information and I'm getting, you know, I'm making deals like through, <laughs> with music. Like some guys, I'm like, some guys come, he's like, I got a buddy. He told me about it. He's not doing so well. He's got, maybe he doesn't want to go to the doctor. And I'm like, are you crazy? He goes, yeah, I heard the podcast and the way you talked about it. And I just, I, I am not putting up with that. I am going to, I'm talking, talking to him and making him talk about it and talk about going to the doctor. And I'm like, that's not enough. I go, I will physically send you like a, I, I, he, was, he, was, he was really into my music too, of the band Delta and the, and the EP that we have really, you know, have out. And I said, I'll send you, I'll mail to you the physical copy of the CD, which is, you can't, the only, only digital's out there. I still have like about, you know, a box with the, with the physical copies. I sell to big people, you know, whenever I can. And I'll mail, mail you one for free. If you have proof that you took him to the doctors, you went with him the day that he chose to go and make sure that he did it. And you hound him until he does. He's like, you got it. I'm on it. You know, and it worked. You know, it's like, I haven't, still, this just, this just happened. So I, I had the results haven't come back yet, but he's like, I'm on it. You know, so I'm like, that is really powerful that he, he's moving in that direction and taking action and, 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 and getting the knowledge to somebody. And that from that aspect, you know, of releasing that interview and, and what it's done. And now this one too, really even more in depth with like the mental side of things and the part that is kind of not discussed and that maybe the, maybe the more under the scenes, but just as prevalent and even more painful in many ways, mm-hmm. um, the mental health and recovery mm-hmm. after such a traumatic event like surviving cancer. Yeah. You mentioned earlier about this rock and roll idea. Like you mentioned how rock and roll is all about new beginnings and excitements and stuff. Um, yeah. And I can imagine, like, you know, post-recovery that you're you're describing how your sort of outlook has changed on things like you're looking at your diet and you're looking at your sort of emotional well-being and your whole like perspective has kind of turned on its head in a way like it's been your perspective has turned on an axis so I'm thinking about how that connects with being in a band and 
how you reconcile those two feelings because I imagine this kind of before and after of wanting to be a rock star and then how important is that now? That's interesting. Well, yeah. There's, I mean, if you're looking at like the psychology of this, the mental aspect of, of um, identity, and you know, being in the band and being, you know, in, in creative, creative is about your identity, and it's not even that. Everybody has a sense of their identity, and having what happens in the end is when you don't know who you are anymore. And you start in the recovery process, your identity is stripped away completely, especially when you have to go and deal with something like PTSD. You're trying to find out who you are, who you were, and you don't feel like yourself anymore because you don't know yourself anymore. Because you're like, you, you, what you used to be able to do and what defines you, because I'm a man who's defined by my actions and what I do. Mm-hmm. And what I used to be able to do before, I physically cannot do them. And even mentally, I cannot process some things like the way I used to. So I am not who I used to be. And that took a well, That was one of the hardest parts of the therapy being in sessions was dealing with my identity. Like, where did it go? Who am I? This new normal. What if I don't want to be this new person that's been given to me? Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't have any say in it. And it and it sucked. But I made, and that was, I I. Took and I, and I was very afflicted by it, and I wanted to learn the tools because I knew I couldn't exist like that. I'm not that type of person. I needed to get to the other side, and I didn't want to sit and dawdle and 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 just you know become something that was unidentifiable to me at least. Mm. So I made a lot of prescribed steps, and and I was very active in my healing. That. I had to, I went forward with many, many things after that. If, you know, the doctors kept telling me, you're like, you're trying everything. You're, you know, my psychiatrist, that he was like, I am very, you know, he's like, you give me a lot of positivity at the end of my day whenever I see you because I know what I'm doing. I'm doing it and it's the right reasons and it's working. And I'm getting this sense of like validation of all my years of the patients I treat. You come in here with this, this thing where you're, you're taking control of, you're trying to, Get yourself into stress management classes, meditation classes. You know, you're seeing all the doctors you're supposed to see, all the free stuff they offer to try to to to, to re- re- put this all back together again in its new way. And you know what? The best thing that happened is I've gotten to a point where I put myself back together. I didn't put myself back together. I became the new me. This mm-hmm. is who I was meant to be, and it is my new identity. And I'm finally actually not not only am I okay with it. I relish in it because mm. I am after having cancer, I am better of a person than I was before. I'm a better, I'm a better, you know, um, uh, friend. I'm a better, uh, taking care of myself better. I'm a better, you know, husband. I'm a better, um, person to the world or whatever it takes because of what I went through. Mm. And, and it made the version of me that was before was, I look back on that and I think I won't have that again. And that's fine because what I learned from this and what it took and did to my life even though it was fucking so hard and it was a lot of trauma and a lot of darkness, the positive side, the light you know, one in the end is it always will. Light will always defeat the darkness. Mm. And I love the, the I, am a, I am a man designed around the word hope. Mm. I have been since a little. I love the hope that comes from music. I mean, look at Noel Gallagher's all the, the B-side acoustics and most of those songs are mm. relegated to the fact of hoping for another day 
you know, making you feel better about tomorrow. So don't worry about today. If it sucks, here's something for tomorrow. Yeah. The Beatles did the same thing, you know. Get out of your shitty place and you can make something of yourself. And, and I, you know, movie in movies and stuff like that, I, I love movies that made me feel that way too. Mm-hmm. So I find it so invigorating that I've gotten to this place. And I know it took time, but that is I took the time to take the time. Not to sound like, you know, whatever that, however that might sound the way in my head, I see it as like, oh, it's just a corny euphemism or something, right? And I'm like, no, it actually is a saying that, you know, the truth is in it. And it's in those couple little words is that I made the time for myself to get better. Mm-hmm. And I didn't put it in the hands of other people because that's what I learned is like, you can't, you can't rely on other people for your entire, the entire you. It is you. It's your life. You must take it by the, the reins. And if you want to get better in a situation like this where you have a whole bunch of doctors, but they have thousands of patients, they can only give you so many tools and it's up to you to have the power to go out and do your own self healing mm-hmm. in many ways and shapes and forms. And, and, and I, I feel I've gotten there. you were specifically listening to in those moments that you can recall mm, one by you two mm-hmm. imagine by John Lennon live forever by Oasis um, and that's it's funny because it was my my top five best song songs you know obviously encompass the human condition and everything about you know what it is to be here and be on this planet and 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 go through life. Number one song is Imagine. It's the best written song of all time. You can't. There's not an arguing there. It is the fact. Look at that. Look at the message of what's coming out of that and the melody attached to it. And that guy was the greatest songwriter. Him and Paul together, the best songwriters of of, of not our generation. You're never gonna have that again. But that's great because we got those songs. It's like here's the template. Let's move forward. Yeah. You know. And then, you know, one, you know, U2 has a song that wasn't even supposed to be there on the record. And, and then it's like all about coming together. Everyone, you know, not, no one is, no, no one is anybody without the person next to you. You know, and this doesn't, this is not meant to go and contradict what I just said about you. Do it yourself, put it in your own hands. You can't do that without the help of other people. We are doing it together. But there is a sense of identity that you must, the identity must be your own. You must have your own identity. Because, that in the songwriting came out. The songs with my record, you know, it was about trying. You know, you're personalizing a, a piece of music for people. You write it, and it's personalized for yourself. But if you don't know who you are or are trying to figure it out, that is what the song is going to be. Or it could be many versions of someone that you don't even know you were before. And there was a discovery process through that. Neil Young, well not Neil Young, he was a little bit 
most of his stuff I was listening to is always the Elementi ballads, and mm-hmm. I couldn't take any any I couldn't take fe- things that would try to drum up feelings because even though your mind has separated yourself from emotions, things that were emotional would have such a dramatic effect on you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not usually one to 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 like tear up for mo- almost anything, and then when this happened, the chemicals that were in you. They said it's going to make you very emotional. It's mm-hmm. going to, your hormones or whatever it's doing to you, you're, you know, and I found that at the drop of a hat, if I saw anything that was related to someone dying with cancer on television or talked about it in a book, I was gone, you know, and I had it, and, and, and it was such a, it had such a negative impact that I had to start removing myself from situations like that, walking out of a film and going back or, you know, or turning the channel when something like that happened. Because mm-hmm. usually people enjoy those ups and downs of a story being told because mm-hmm. that's the part of the cathartic release at the end and it's the, the whole story has to have the bad and the good. But I, I had to, I couldn't have that because it would make me even sicker, mm-hmm. you know, with, um, you know, immune system goes down because of stress and anxiety. So, you know, perhaps that is, that is uh, in, in therein lies where all the positive songs came from mm. and the uplifting sense of melody is because I had to inspire myself or I had to write something positive because you know or hear things that were positive and that's what was coming out it was like you know primarily making that survival techniques for myself like a coping technique I guess mm. or mechanism and I'm interested in that aspect that the songs on your album they are positive because well, it seems to me from what you said in your previous interview on the Oasis podcast that it, it wasn't just the music that was having a positive impact on you that was getting you through. It was the attitude as well. And there was something to do with the attitude of I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lose that got you through that process. Mm. Uh that's a that's a tough one because looking back on it now, yeah, I mean, I'm actually thinking about it. I mean, looking back on it, there was, I think that's that kind of way you, you kind of create the situation or, or like, you know, strip off the, the days that were, that were not like that because, you know, now we're actually discussing it. This is what, this is the therapeutic value of discussing what goes on with you. And I, and I constantly, have this every week because I have to be in therapy t- for the PTSD and mm-hmm. and I find it so much benefit like the I, it is still great now that I'm back to playing guitar again but I still find this you know I have to be in this medical side of it mm-hmm. it is still a part of the process it's still you know a year and a half it's been a year year and a half after I started therapy and the and then they had to put me on drugs for this the PTSD and then also the drugs for you know certain, you know post cancer all these things have still really messed up your body it does it this you can't get away from it and these things are slowly starting to be withdrawn and taken out taken away from my my daily reg- regimen because it's getting enough distance from it which is great because I, I pills i'm not a big fan of because mm-hmm. i mean they just load you up with so much stuff that's side effects that you don't want mm-hmm. um but you need it because the good the, the thing that it actually does it does well and you have to take the side effects with it just to get better but mm-hmm. that attitude was I don't know. What do you think? I mean, it's like you know, you know a bit about this. Like having a belief system. I mean, it's just like whether it, it, it was there from from when I was little. It was just who I who I was, and my family was like that. And you know, growing up where I grew up, and I think one of the was yeah, just you know, 
confidence is, it was key. And it was how we, how we are in, in like our family. I mean, we would have had to have it because it was just how you got through life. You know, older, because I always thought that way. I never had a problem with not. I always see this like people are like, oh, I'm going to have your confidence like you know, with dating and, and with life. I'm like, I don't know. I just never not had it, I guess. Yeah. It's just how it is. You know, and you can get it. But that got taken away from me during that time for the first time in my life because, it, you know, you know, if, if I didn't have any going into that, it would have been a very different story. And I would really, that's why I really gelled with the band Oasis is mm-hmm. because they were representing what what I at my world, you know, to me and the people that I knew was like, hey, there's other people just like us, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 it's and it, they're making it, you know, it's it was fun to be, you know, like you know, living, you know, with that out in the you know out in the public world. They did it so well. I'm like, oh, this is great, you know. It's like you get empowered and emboldened by that even more. Uh, so I, I, uh, that's why one of the reasons I really, you know, got on with the band, same, same roots, you know, same attitude towards life mm-hmm. and having that going into the cancer and, and having to deal with what came, what came, came during the recovery and treatments is that, like I said, if it, if it wasn't that way before, I don't know how it would have been. It probably been a lot more heavier on mm-hmm. the people around me who were taking care of me and myself being able to, to mentally pull through, uh, I mean, it was definitely um, eroded a lot, mm-hmm. and and but I did, I, I a big chunk of it did stay. So when I look back, I'm like I did have it, but it wasn't as strong as it as I like I like how I feel now or I was before, and so I'm really thankful for just being that way because I think that had a big part of just being able to have that attitude like we're gonna beat this, mm-hmm. but then I, then I, then let's not let's normalize this, you know. For people out there who are maybe listening that have cancer or are going through it or have gone through it, you, you understand that there are the day, many of the times of the entire day or parts of the day where you don't feel that at all. You feel like this is it, you know, and you're trying to hold on, but it's just it's so much because the chemicals take such a toll on you and it erodes your mind and it, in which it erodes your confidence and you're not getting better because you it's a slow process. You watch over two months your body in front of you in the mirror just degrade and you lose your hair and, and, and you're, you just get so weak and, and you're just always sick. You know, having, mm-hmm. a, having the feeling that you're going to throw up for two months from mm-hmm. the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep but you don't throw up, it is the most uncomfortable thing and you can only – you can only be, you know, in a good mood for so long, obviously, mm-hmm. if you had that. So extend that over two months and it, and it makes you, it's hard. It was mm-hmm. really tough to deal with and, and to, to hang in there. Hence, having the little bit of music that it could. All those little things were were so uh, seminal, so important to making it through to the next day because it was a daily battle. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, you know, looking back on it, it's all compartmentalized and put together kind of nicely. Like, yeah, that was, you know, I made it and it was uh, strong and got through it. But when you get into the into the nitty gritty, it was trying to keep that strength that got mm-hmm. taken away from you. And, you know, uh, every hour it would seem, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the times that you didn't have it, like you brought up a point about, you know, the connection to like, say like the bands, like the Beatles who were super confident in their skills and who they were and, 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 and the Oasis and, and that, you know, I would I would use them, you know, at the moments when I didn't have it or when I needed it, and I just I just didn't have the energy anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, energy became a thing; it was just gone. And it takes energy to to, to put yourself in in the right frame of mind mm-hmm. to stay positive. Positivity is hard; it's mm-hmm. really hard. 
it's easier to be negative, which is the which is the most fucked up thing of life. Like it's so easy to be negative and have those, but those feelings are just and that energy sucks and it sucks the life out of people. And I, you know, being a proponent of the positive thinking mentality and and the mindfulness mentality is 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 important because I know how tough it is mm-hmm. and I know that it takes other people to give it to you sometimes and that's what I'm trying to do now mm-hmm. and it, it is it is you know from my stand my point of view even now today it's trying to remain positive is is another thing it's 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 a lot of energy and that's mm-hmm. you know I, I, but it's very important to have that and to be that way in my own life and to you know now that I'm you know kind of publicly out there with uh, fundraising and and raising money for the awareness and the same thing and for positive thinking about it I know what it takes to, to do it and I need to do it because mm-hmm. I got a lot of things depending on it. a lot of a lot of people out there that I'm hoping I can you know give that to the way that it was given to me like mm-hmm. pay it back yeah like pay it for yeah I there were two things that I thought as you as you were talking there the first as you described providing this positive energy for people I literally had an image of you sort of pouring goodwill in people's mouths almost like um as a an alternative medicine it, it just came as an image in my head like you know you, you were talking about it's, it's a bot it's a pint of beer, a pint of beer. <laughs> there's your confidence image as you spoke there it was just um well thanks that's, that's really nice yeah and the, the music kind of seeping into people and and you said like you know it's quite when you said it's difficult for people to generate that positivity from within if you're in that situation but having someone else kind of embalm you with it or pour it in you and just the image of like a, a song surrounding you i can i can get a sense of the power of that and yeah it was nice you know my song simon says which is going to be like one of the more uplifting like rock songs on it mm-hmm. you know kind of has an all uh some might say feel to it but it had that it was about having all these different it kind of came together as like four different voices talking through the lyrics not i wasn't trying to do it it was like when i picked up the song at this point i wrote this little bit of lyric that this and then another part was about another version of me that i thought i was and then and it sounds like this non-sequitur kind of like jarbled like i am the walrus like mm-hmm. nonsense but it all makes sense when you put it together because it was saying exactly what i was at the time mm-hmm. in the most sincerest way and that was what made it so special and i, I performed that song for the first time my wife and her, our, our two friends, you know, like, hey, I got this new tune. And this guy's from New Zealand, and he loves Oasis on. She loves Oasis. And I did acoustic, and I got done. And he looked at me, he goes, you wrote that song? And I go, yeah. He goes, you wrote, when? He, he, he had knew my music from before, but he had just put the acoustic version. He's like, that blew him away. He's like, I can't believe you wrote that. It's like, this, you know, that could be like on the radio making chart top right now. I'm like, wow, whatever. But it, it, so I knew I had power to it. You know, Simon says, you be this, you be that. You know, Simon says, do this, do that. Doctors telling you what to do. Doctors telling you who you are. Um, and that was kind of the impetus behind it. I spent a lot of time on, like, internet and forums and trying to get the... The fears and anxieties, even from the beginning, it, you know, obviously it's inherent with getting 
sick in this level that you're going to be scared mm-hmm. and you're going to be anxious and, and and want to get information because the information part is is the key you know being aware and not and being well informed of what it is and what's the situation is is what situations are coming up within you know said you know say having cancer mm-hmm. um it takes a lot of time and a lot of energy to get the full spectrum to kind of figure it out and understand it and also go through it and having some time with it to understand what's happening to you. Then here comes the medicine. What happens to you now? And, you know, those parts, the, the oncologist department, that is covered because that's that's their role. That's their realm. Their, 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 their job is to make sure that you don't die and make sure that you live and that they can get rid of the cancer. That's what they're trained to do, mm-hmm. and that's what they've been doing and doing very well as much as that one's body is receptive you know, to the medicines, if at all, which is the unfortunate thing is a lot of medicines that they have for curing cancer doesn't apply to some people's genetics, doesn't apply to how far along in their staging that they are, and it doesn't apply to uh, – uh, um, uh, or doesn't – like at the time and length, like uh, one treatment – Will, will run out of its potency and its power within like six months and you have to find another one and you start running out of the most the most um, uh, uh, the most effective um, uh, concoctions that they have and you start going to towards experimental and you have, then you have no idea if it's going to work or not then the data is not secure enough or enough mm-hmm. experimentation recorded so you spend a lot of time on the internet if they don't on things that you don't get talked to about it's like the internal thoughts. Because yeah. that is, they're doing, they're working with physical, but they do say, say you need to, you know, because they know how stress and, and, and is a big part of your actual immune system. And they said, your immune system is going to be gone. So you need to obviously disengage from life and your head kind of takes care of it almost for you because it's what gets, uh, what a big common, um, uh, symptom, I guess, or, or happens, or, or or bad thing that happens is uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, or is that a PTSD? Yeah. You get it because when before you get the post part of it, when you're, when you're in the said trauma, you're, there's a, this amazing physiological thing that's there, and your mind separates from the body. Yeah. Because it it is built that way to stop any. I know that emotions. We're emotional beings, and the bill it's genetically must know that emotional uh, reactions can cause stress, and it can cause stress and anxiety, mm-hmm. and that can cause you further harm while it's trying to repair itself from being attacked by cancer cells. Mm-hmm. So you get dis you, you, you get diseng- or, uh, uh, disengaged from your own emotions when you start going through uh, cancer and then the cancer treatments uh, because your your body's trying to save yourself from. Um, Getting stress and anxiety affecting your immune system and maybe possibly not making your 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 uh, your, your um, success of uh, the treatments uh, effective. So I watch everyone else around me crying mm-hmm. and and being sad and so stricken with just their own like what it means for them and to watch me go through this. I don't see that when I was in the sick part. Like when I, all I saw was survive and must make it through to the next day. You know, I was so glad to have people around, but it was you're very internalized mm-hmm. with your thoughts and also um, with your uh, recovery. And then when you come out of it and you get to the point where like you you've survived, one of the most fortunate things that could happen is not very often cancer does suck because it has it takes so many people 
to the people that actually make it. So I was just consider myself so so lucky. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, it it's the way it worked out. I'm very happy for it. But after you're done, the post traumatic stress disorder comes in because mm-hmm. your emotions get returned to you slowly. But you have to you have to go to therapy to make it happen because PTSD isn't just it doesn't just just change on its own. You have to work at it, mm-hmm. and it was very de- uh, debilitating to my life and to me as a person and my relationships. And uh, the first six months out of cancer because I was still emotionally disconnected, mm-hmm. and and the people that are around me had already gone through their processes of of what I had gone through and they had gone through with me. And now I was just starting. It was like a delayed reaction. So where everybody was crying about me and being sad and so worried about me before I wasn't in that way, that came after. Then that's when it started where they don't talk to you about that because the, the chemo doctors are out of the picture now. They don't even, they don't even see you anymore. Just, just checkups like scans. So, yeah. story 
and you you get the song done. You're like, look at all this amazing music musicality or these chord changes that I've never done in any other song, or this melody is really intricate, this three part harmony, or whatever it is that I mean. I haven't shown, you know, like I showed my wife the song the other day. She goes, what is that one from? I go, I wrote that one like 10 years ago. She goes, how the hell did you never play that? I'm like, oh, that's just one of my, one of my personal songs, I guess, you know, you know, maybe pull it out Sunday. But a lot of them are like little snippets in time of what I was going through at then and needed it then. And, you know, then I was done with it. Yeah. I mean, it's still a song, but it's not always, you know, I, I use it for my own, you know, it was part of my own thing and, and having... That was how I got through life, and you know that, or you know, writing a story, you know, writing. I used to, you know, if I was gonna be a screenwriter when I when I first, I want to be a director in a movie and, and write mm-hmm. write films, and that's you know, I used to use that in my early years as well. But it turns out I'm just a better songwriter, and I like that format better because mm-hmm. you know, also being this, you know, the way my mind is, I, I like the 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 compactness, the, the you know, just having a perfect song within three to four minutes pop melodies it's like this whole world only exists in that little small frame of time yeah. i think that's just that's that's my thing i'm just connected to that but when you i got sick and then i got you get the energy's gone and then all of a sudden there's the guitars sitting there and, and and your mind is kind of getting you know eaten away by this acid and this toxins and so is your body and you know, I keep staring at it, and it's like I, I, I needed it, and I could, I could barely even hold the guitar, or I was so sick I had to have it just – I'd stand it on the floor on the side of my bed where I would be laying all day long, and it would be vertical, and I could kind of just drape my arm down and just kind of strum across the strings with my fingers because mm-hmm. I couldn't really hold the pick very well. And I would try to, you know, fret a song and got something about how I was feeling, and, and that was the genesis of – most of the music that I wrote, like these, you know, like almost seven, I think it was 17 songs were during that period mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, when, well, yeah, maybe like half of those during the period of being sick and the other half, like when the next six months when I was recovering. But I was able, maybe being limited, being, being not able to sit in how my process was before and sit on the couch and, you know, strum away and come up with tunes and, mm-hmm. or you're walking the street and it just, you were in my nat- natural environment of of the world now it's different and you physically can't do it and then i couldn't hold the fingers anymore to the strings it would be so painful because everything got heightened all my senses and i got started getting nerve damage Mm -hmm. and and i couldn't touch the guitar anymore so it was like i could only write in like 30 second spurts and that it was like being restrained in that way kind of forced the music out in a very specific like I just can't. I knew it had this little timeline to come out with, and so mm-hmm. I was, that's why I was curious. Like, how the hell did I write seventeen songs yeah. when I couldn't play? And that was was so amazing, and it, it gave me the like the the positive the positivity of the situation. Like when I would look at it, I'm like it, it did happen. Mm-hmm. I couldn't play, but I was it, it was coming out through the pain, and I was forcing myself because I had to do it. And and it, and and in a different way than I've ever done before, mm-hmm. and I felt like I can't. And, and I, but every every other you know twenty five, twenty three hours and fifty minutes of the day, I'm like I can't touch the guitar. I can't even you know. And it was like my soul was cut out. It was just a part of it. I mean, some people have that. I I don't know if you ever lost anything. You know that you couldn't. Really, and and it, it it's 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 heartbreaking. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it's lost, isn't it? It's a loss, and it's a sudden loss, and a loss with an injustice. To it, I guess, as well. But, I like that. Yeah. It was unjust to the injustice gods above us. What were you doing? <laughs> but look what it brought, though. I mean, it was. I mean, these are the way things are. It's, the world is a funny place. It comes out in the end with what's happening now. And now there's those songs that were 
the things that get me through. Um, there's something about the fact that you've been through it um, and are creating positive songs that gives a kind of realism to it because you, you're not just sort of saying, oh, you know, cheer up everyone. It, this, is, this is something that is, you know, real, that you've lived and, and yet you're giving hope. You know what, Katie, was the thing about you have you have a time where it's you with this thing. It's all about you, and I don't like that unless I'm the one making it. Now it became, you know, I love attention. What the hell wouldn't I? I mean, I'm a songwriter and a musician. I want to be the center of attention all the time. But this thing that I have, it wasn't my choice. I lost all control. And that was one of the biggest things I had to deal with is like, or anybody having having a sense of control, what you could control about you getting better, about your daily life. Everything had to be done for me. Mm-hmm. Everything had to be given to me. I had to be fed. I had to be cleaned. I mean, my my wife. We had just just got engaged two weeks when I got diagnosed, and then we had we got married like the week before we advanced marriage. We pushed it forward. Mm-hmm. She's like, I want to be with you for this and go through this with you. Um, I'm here for the long run. Like, I love you so much. I want to, you know, we're going to get married early to, before you start the chemo so that I can, you know, be in charge if anything goes sour. And, and, and the insurance, we had some insurance debacles too. With, you know, insurance people try to take our insurance away. You know, once they found out I had, ke- I, I was diagnosed. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, it was uh, it was not a very good situation. And then we solved the problem by getting married. All of a sudden, now it's, now it's on track. So, you know, there was a couple of reasons why we did it early. We were going to do it the next year, but we, we pushed it forward, and, and it was uh, that alone was a big thing of like, look at this person is committing to. You know, that is that is, you know, I kept expecting the other 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 reaction, and mm-hmm. I, and it, it was a long time for me. Even during when I, I kept being sicker, I'm like, why? Are, what are you? How are you staying here with this? Like, this is nobody should have to have this dumped on them. You know what I mean? This is and. and this, you know, the, the strength of that character in that, you know, heart of gold is like stayed through it all and took care of me essentially, mm-hmm. you know, all the whole, all the home upkeeping that is needed, ran the household. Um, and my, and we lived with my roommate, Jimmy, you know, she had been living with before we moved in together and I was in his household, you know, his originally his, his place that we were, I kind of became a convalescent in that house of theirs and I was in the bedroom and the rest of the house went on went on outside the bedroom and they, they would peek in and come take care of me when they had to. And so he was involved on a daily basis with me as well. And, you know, when I had to get dragged to the, to the bathroom to throw up in the toilet or thrown into the shower because in a cold shower bath because my temperature was spiking and I couldn't even walk anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people do have that, the kindness that you, you like people think come in bits and pieces or, you know, the human race and the human species or it's, man, we, we are really bad. You know, when you look at people, they, they, you can see a lot of that is talked about, especially in today's current climate. And, like, I know for a fact that when the chips fall on the board and you throw the cards at the table and the chips fall, people will, you know, is that the expression? And they, they will, when needed, people come out in, in ways that you would never expect, yeah. you know, and, 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 and can, you know, give selflessly. They can, you know, care. Even if they weren't a caring type, you know, there's something about that kind of, like, you know, having cancer, I guess, and other, mm-hmm. other illnesses, and I'm not to slay other illnesses, but, you know, that is, that brings out from people, um, uh, a sense of care, a sense of humility, you know, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, 
that people are always awkward around maybe or they don't show it very often and don't know what to do with it and they take you know it was it was amazing to have that discovery to find out that there is this part of people that seems to be get forgotten or it's glossed over or not appreciated or celebrated enough you know what i'm saying yeah yeah what the topic we were just talking about because i know that story was talking about bringing in you know i think it went off on top went off topic there for a second well i mean it's like you were saying the normalization of it there's something i think quite important for you to have sort of explained that process which i think that it's not just the physical, it's the internal process, and then you've got what you're going through at the time, and then what you're going through afterwards, and the need for positivity and strength from others, and I, yes. got, yeah, I got the sense that that was a kind of link to what you were saying before about um, the, your paying it forward, that, that's where I made the link. <laughs> this is an example of things that still afflict me because like my completely just lost where I mean my memory is 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 a is a tough one to deal with as another like thing they don't talk to you about about they say you can get this thing called chemo brain from the chemotherapy I had chemotherapy two years ago two years ago now I used to have a memory that was like a steel trap I remember I could remember like pictures of, of every scenario of almost everything that it was I just just had that and now I can't remember some things that I've been talking about for you know, 10 minutes ago I can't remember the, the, a lot of the two years the last two years especially uh, the year preceding and following having cancer like the six months before and the six months after there is so much of a blackness that it just it is just it's been like taken it's gone um, and they said that was a big thing from chemotherapy affects your memory cells mm -hmm. and you may get snippets of, you know, of your memories down the road, but it, it, you know, you, that it may or may not happen. And then I find myself, you know, d d you know, playing with this every day. Like, am I forgetting something? I have to, I've become a guy of lists because I, if I don't, I, I don't remember. I have to have everything written down. Um, and we got to, you know, got to the point where I, I went to the doctors and I was like, so this is another one of these things you guys didn't tell us about. You know, obviously this is how, this is me managing life. Mm -hmm. I know it's not, you know, a little bit of like forward, you know, thinking and telling us about these would have been great because we, we could have prepped for or looked into it and not knowing what it was for a couple months or maybe six months what was going on. You guys experience this all the time. Why wouldn't you give us the full rundown? You know, mm -hmm. it's always these quick conversations about, well, after, you know, this is going to happen, this is going to happen and you're going to get better. Yeah, it's like, well, no, it doesn't happen instantly. It's almost because cancer is, is in, in the, the treatments and the getting through that is like one very small part of the timeline. Mm -hmm. You can make a case for that the post, post treatment and the years following after are even harder yeah. to deal with than the moment because I did live. That's the great part. That that part's kind of over and done with. We know that's the story has been written, it's said and done, and it's it's been two years. But then the year and a half following was, oh, is it some tough times? Learning how to deal and get back to society, get back to living life, get through PTSD, get you know, our, the, having the marriage that we have, figuring that out. You know, the new normal. Like here's a guy who was 36 when I, you know, when I went in. You know, full-on man's capable, strong, can lift things, can do just 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 random stuff around the house, mm -hmm. can can do the things that I used to do, handle the bills, feed the, the pets, or whatever it, you know your normal routine is a living life. 
it doesn't come back the day that you get out of cancer, and it doesn't come back two months later. I mean, the first year I could, bar- I barely could even move. I couldn't walk. Mm-hmm. You know, the nerve I had severe, severe peripheral neuropathy, which is a nerve damage caused by the chemical agent uh, cisplatin. Now, cisplatin is a platinum metal-based part of the key, the drug cocktail they give you for chemo, and that one is so nasty that it does what it does, and it worked, but it fries, it can fry your lungs, it can cause liver mm-hmm. damage, chronic kidney disease, which I got from that as well, and I just, just, uh, and, and, and then severe nerve damage, and that's mm-hmm. another thing, playing the guitar, even when I was sick, I couldn't play, but when I got done, and my faculties came back, and the, the chemo fog started to lessen a little bit, and I, and I could, you know, and I was feeling a little bit better, I could actually go out of the house by myself, mm-hmm. or, you know, the, you just start having some distance, I still couldn't play the guitar, because it hurt even more because now I could actually I can sit and play. Let's write some songs. Let's mm-hmm. do something. No, no, it's not. It's, it it was just so painful mm-hmm. that I was like, what am I gonna do? I I had a lot of nights where I was struggling with that in a different way. Like I'm getting better, but that's not coming back. What if I'm like this for the rest of my life? Will I never be able to play a guitar again? Mm-hmm. And it hurt so bad. It was like this is I can't believe how important it was to me. But it, that's what that's who I am. And it did slowly come back to the point where I still can't do lead guitar anymore. And my fingers can't, that still hurts too much, but I can play my rhythm again. And that's enough to write a song, you know. And it forced me to go and try some different avenue. You know, you learn to manage the new normal. This is what I got. I have to learn to live with it. And I have to accept that I was disabled. And, you know, I had to be driven places. And I can't work, you know, at the moment. I'm trying to start this again. I just tried starting you know, making contacts again with my work that I really recording studios and mm. getting back into that wagon. And it's a tough go too. Cause it's been so long. It's just like anything needs momentum. You have a business and things like that I have to keep going. Mm. Um, but the, uh, I learned to start playing the piano oh. and then I found a whole new world. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> the, I was like, what was I thinking all these years? I've been listening to the Beatles and half of their song are piano. I'm like, I just do a guitar. Guitar, guitar, guitar. Oh, it's yeah. rock and roll. That's the thing to do. And then I discovered the P. I got a keyboard and I started taking lessons. Oh, wow. And I was like, all the connections of music that had been blanks before yeah. were filled in instantly. Like, oh, they call it a seventh chord because it <laughs> is the seventh key from the beginning when you walk down the keyboard on the white keys. It's the seventh note. It's not. It's actually numbered for that exact. <laughs> I thought someone just made up the, the language. Oh, it's a seventh. You know, it was like a sixth, a fifth. No, it's because it's the number. It was all math. And I was like, <laughs> I can't believe I didn't have this. And then, so I didn't hurt my fingers because I, it's very, you know, touch the keyboard keys very softly and still make music. Can't touch my guitar. They're just sitting there collecting dust. And I was like, I had that need, that inner desire. Like, I need, there's, I can feel it when it brews up. I'm like, I got to have something musical is about to come out, but I have no way of getting it out. And, Singing is one thing, but it's not. You can't write a song without the instrument to work through chords and things of that nature that design a song. Mm. And, and 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 it was like I got to the keyboard and I was like, it was just voracious. I ate up YouTube videos and went, you know, how to play every Beatles song. And then this one guy had this great website. He's like, here it is, with every chord listed. It made it really easy and so fun. Yeah. And then, and then I started. Then I took a couple of uh, lessons from somebody in the local area uh, where I was living and. And, and they explained all the parts to me that I didn't wasn't getting from the books and stuff. And then, and then I just took it and ran with it. Mm-hmm. And and then I started writing stuff. All of a sudden, I'd walk up to the, the keyboard and, you know, 
just I'll put my hands to it and I'd, I'd, like it would like it would with the guitar I could just start writing something I, I mean, that's never been hard but, but just having the instrument to do it yeah I, I always needed it and so are there lots of piano based songs on this album there are one two three four four songs that are gonna, are gonna have it in there because I, they needed it. Once I realized I'm playing piano, they were acoustic songs before. There's one song that was written on the piano. It's, the, it's one of the more recent ones. But I don't know if I was going to include it because I'm kind of using the songs that I wrote that was more in the realm of um, the timeline of what was important. Like when I was sick and like the first couple, you know, the first maybe like nine months after when I was writing explicitly about what was going on there. And now... Um, I had a I had I had a break like almost like nine months in in writing and writing songs because I I had to I had to take a break from um, or it wasn't coming to me mm. something just I mean it was in the middle I don't know what was going on I was just like you have these things I was like hey, nothing coming out I wrote you know you write seventeen tunes and then and then I wrote about you know about ten more that weren't they were just music but they weren't like related to the to being sick but and then and then and then the, then the well the the tap got shut off so to speak. I mean, that mm-hmm. happens. And it was the first time it ever happened to me. And I was always worried about that. You know, what are, I mean, listen to all the guys out there, but you got McCartney, you got all these greats, you got, you know, Billy Joel and these piano guys and, mm-hmm. you know, all the songwriters that, you know, we know Neil Young and, 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 and Townsend, you know, the guy from Weezer or, you know, even, you know, like who's another big band, like Pink Floyd, same thing. Those guys, there's, there's a, there's a cap on creativity in, music it seems for writing the rock and roll format because mm-hmm. rock and roll is about youth and attitude and being young and and not knowing what the hell is coming around the corner not knowing what life is and experiencing shit for the first time mm-hmm. that's what is so exciting about it and it's that primal the beats and like you know sex drugs and rock and roll that whole thing mm-hmm. put there in cars and experiencing everything for the first time that's what i in rock and roll is that that's the attitude yeah well you notice if you go back and look, you know, generally speaking, you ain't gonna find much more of the big hits and the big the songs that were massive to everybody in their lives written after the age of like thirty five to thirty eight, even maybe forty being the tops. Mm-hmm. You know, McCartney's his songs after like thirty five, not not nothing like his first solo stuff, you know, in the first five years or the Beatles. Or, you know, there's only a certain amount of time in it I think you have in that world. And so I was always scared of that. You know, when is that going to happen? Is the tap ever going to get shut off? And, you know, it was my first time. And it happened because I think I was so – I think there was a lot of debilitating things going on in my mind with the PTSD mm-hmm. that all of a sudden now that it was being, it was being worked on, I, I was trying to figure out why it was gone. And I, and I, and I think that might have something to do with it. Thing, you know, I want to, you know, to go to my, to my, to my French roots. 
But it is. It's the guy. I mean, I, that, like the whole point was like it was just it was feeling good, feeling good to make, you know even to try to make myself feel good, and just the melodies came out that way. You know, I, I couldn't stop them from doing. It. That's what they do. I mean, there's two songs. I'm trying to figure out which one of the two to put on because I want to also flush this thing out to its you know to the whole concept of what it was. There's you know I wrote two songs that were the cancer having cancer songs like it was like the Warren Zevon like this is sad and this is depressing am I gonna live you know and it, the one I think I might go with is called On My Own and it's a very ice song about isolation and like no matter who's helping me no matter what's going on around me and the care and the um the the attention that I'm being given to help me through I'm still trapped on this with I'm the only one feeling what it feels like mm-hmm. and it was a really big sense of isolation because there are some of those things that are you're so despondent in the darkness of you know impending death and the, those thoughts that that can come to you and, and, and be very powerful. Um, I didn't want you don't you don't want to put that burden on the loved ones around you, so you don't talk to them about those things. Some of those things are you just don't want. They've gone through enough. You don't need to add to the burden. Mm-hmm. I was fortunate. But also unfortunate enough to have my stepmother at the time I had cancer. She also had cancer. And I already had it for like six months or something. So our family and my father, you know, it was just a, just a bad set of lifetimes, timings. I don't know how to explain it. It just all of a sudden she's got it. And I have two people in the can in the direct circle of the, of the family, you know, have cancer and it was like you can't i mean it was hard for me at the time to feel it because i was deconnected or disconnected emotionally but i knew it was there because i was like you know my dad i you know he didn't know what to do he's like he's got his wife and his son who's thousands of miles away from him he can't be there my mom can't be with me but she did come to visit after when i hit chemo my brothers and my sisters and my friends from back where i grew up in michigan can't be there. They can't see you going through it. Only Anjali, my wife, and the roommate, and some of the friends that came around. So it was a real tough time. And 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 but she was there, and I got to start a relationship with her in a way that we never had before. And she, we we could talk about those those feelings and thoughts that were about what happens if we don't make it. What happens if we do? What is it like to feel those things? Do you have any? How are you surviving today? What you, have mm-hmm. you found anything that helps you? You know, um, and we would get on the be on the phone or texting and have these very private conversations, the two of us, because like we both agreed they're not things that we wanted to, you know, um, instill on our partners or loved ones because they had enough to deal with as it is. And it was another sense of no control or power. They would hear this. And they would. They would make. Why would you want to make them feel bad if you didn't have to? And you get the and then that, with my stepmother Sharon, I got to share that with her and. You know, she gave me a lot of extra hope and inspiration and, and things that she had learned because she had been in chemo for about six months, I believe, and maybe more, but, and help, things that helped me with like finding this one little, you know, take this little probiotic pill called Culturel, take these ginger chews. The ginger chews were the first thing that helped settle my stomach and take, it was such a godsend. I'm like, ginger chews. It's so simple. The doctors wouldn't even tell you. They always mm-hmm. did load, load you up with this medicine that made you so backed up. And it was it was the anti um, uh, 
uh, nausea medicine, oh. but it is it, it it hits you in many other ways. It's very hard to take the pill, mm. but it does take it away. But you feel really strange, and you don't feel yourself when you're on it, mm. and you're on those every day. So those ginger chews, mm. I found them. We just had our, our holiday here in, in America, Thanksgiving. The, um, the big meal, food-based holiday where we, you know, built on the Native Americans and the, the white yeah. settlers had to survive together yeah. over eating a meal together because they are all going to starve if they, when the winter came if they did it. So yeah. that's our big national holiday right before Christmas. And I was making our turkey. Well, we had chicken this year because we don't give a shit about turkey. For, we like stuffing and the cranberry sauce better. But we had the chicken because it's, it's turkey is what you usually make at uh, bacon. The one, the one time a year people make a giant turkey. Well, I was making the cranberry sauce, and it called for ginger, candied ginger. Mm. And I was like, oh, I'm looking around through the, the spice rack. I'm like, I can't find any ginger. I'm like, do we have any ginger? And I go, oh, my God. And I, I thought about this, and I opened up the little drawer. And in the back of the little drawer where, like, there was, like, like uh, chocolates or the coffee pods or something. And way in the back of it was the same package of the ginger chews that was open that I was using when I was sick. And I hadn't finished all of them. And they were still good because it's candied ginger mm. in, in these chews. And I was like, this is something special. What a moment. I took it out. I took a photo of it. And I put it up on Instagram or something. I'm like, you know, full, come full circle. It's Thanksgiving. I'm giving thanks to what happened to me and to my stepmother for introducing these to me. And I'm mm. putting them. These same ones I used when I was sick were getting cut mm. up and put into the cranberry sauce for the dinner. Amazing. And I was like, that was just, that was a real special little moment. And I thought that made me feel really good and feel that this was worth it, you know, the, 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 the trials and tribulations, you know, what it took to get here. Where, where can someone find ginger chews? If someone's listening and they're kind of going through the same thing at the minute, where might they find them? You're going to be in all, I mean, uh, internationally, they're going to be in almost probably every grocery store, in the okay. either in the candy section, okay. or you can order them from Amazon. I mean, it's just like ginger chews. They're like kind of a candy thing, mm. um, but it's the ginger part of it. You know, you can even mm. eat raw ginger. Go to, to the, any grocery store, your Tesco's mm. or uh, any of those things, and get the go to the, where, you know, the, in the vegetable department. They'll have ginger, and you can dice that up and eat just a raw piece uh, it really helps settle your stomach from all that nauseousness you get from the chemo as well as culturel culturel is a probiotic that people can use that the french make with sold across the world and that thing was so potent so it would it would it heal it's meant for all immune and it's the gut you know guts intestine related immune immune problems and it makes your stomach feel better for almost everything instantly how do you spell culture? C U L T. It's the word culture, culture. but with uh, the French, the French L on the end, the E L L E. So culturel, culturel, I guess in French, but C U L T U R E L L E. Brilliant. And you like buy a pack; it has like thirty of them, like one per day. You know, it's a, it's supposed to be like a, a daily pill you take for your, to have um, the proper levels of the right bacteria in your guts that mm. that you know doctors always told me 90% of your immune system exists in your intestines mm. and that's what there was a problem with chemotherapy why you get sick is because chemotherapy kills the three fastest growing cells in your body hair cancer cells and intestinal and stomach lining cells because those regenerate almost every minute and it stops that production so when you don't have that bacteria that you need in your guts for immune suppression, you know, for suppressing, you know, sicknesses, yeah. um, 
you get that's why you start getting sick and you you you, you get anemic and, and someone has a cold around you can kill people mm-hmm. if they're not rushed to the hospital and taking care of it like the littlest of bugs of cold bugs can take you out so you have to be very careful The last tune would be a song called Living Rock and Roll, um, which was my answer to kind of like living a lifestyle of rock and roll no more, but I just living the embodiment of being rock and roll because I am not that person anymore that I used to be. I am not the rocker, so to speak, you know, as I don't, that's not what I can do or who I am, but the mentality, the attitude of it is what I am. So, um, don't need to be it to live it. It is who we are inside, right? Yeah. When it comes to rock and roll. That's and then, exactly. what's that? That's exactly what Noel was talking about today on an interview. He was doing a um, he was doing a podcast interview, funnily enough, um, somewhere in Europe, I think. I, I need to, I'll find the link for it and send it to you. Because he was talking about exactly that, about this idea that people have mistaken rock for rock and roll but actually rock and roll is about your yourself and your own identity and your own doing what you want to do and it's not really about you know the cliche of, of like wearing a certain kind of clothing or um taking drugs necessarily like all of that is is part of the trappings of it but the meaning of rock and roll is it's really interesting that you you basically just said what he was saying today for, on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't heard that. Yeah. I was like, I, I could say, uh, is he sick for an interview? And I was just, just you know, I'll be his sub. Yeah. You know? <laughs> take, this, take this over, man. It's like, that's the thing is, like, when you're in that, you know, that's what's so great about that band. Like, yeah, it was like, it's got, it, you know, there's a certain people out there that he, you know, he really captures whatever a lot of people are feeling within what that music is and what it does and it's like that rock and roll constantly needs to be updated and needs to be talked about about what it is because it's so easily distorted mm-hmm. and turned into just garbage things that are like it's rock as the rock is dead and the shitty music and mm-hmm. you know when the, the the people that are behind it and keep talking about what the art form actually is mm-hmm. it is an art form it's not I think rock is 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 was when it came out. Remember, if you look at history, rock was poo pooed. Uh, what is this? This this is you know kids. This is they had no substance to it. Guess what? The only reason that thing they discovered it and became the thing it is is because it is rock and roll is music that is what humans are. Their primal essence. And you're never, no matter what hoity toity level you're on, intellectual or down the lowbrow, you're everyone has the primal essence in them of the beat of rock and roll and i you know my theory on that is is that rock and roll is in four full time which just means do 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 mm. and no matter what you do the song that people like are so moved when rock and roll first came and are still to this day is that beat pattern there's only one other place in the world that has that beat pattern that humans know and hear every single day but they don't hear it and that's why it's primal it's their heartbeat. It has the exact same thing as the beat of rock music. And what is what rhythm have you heard your entire life that dr- runs your body? The beating of your heart. Oh, that's so fascinating. Do you know what? I've never even <laughs> I've never even thought about that before. Mm-hmm. That it follows. 
I'm sure unless you got arrhythmia, then you're gonna be one of these progressive rock bands. Yeah. Like, 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 like Rush, like it's like six, eight times. Well, you got this stop and static <laughs> stuff, or someone having a heart attack. You got like, you know, what, Marilyn Manson, you know. What would the what would jazz musicians' uh, heartbeats be like? <laughs> Interesting, the exact same. Because yeah. think about it, it's not a sound; they're they're feeling the vibration. I mean, wasn't that Mr. Holland's opus? You the deaf kid, the shot, the movie with Richard Dreyfuss, and then he—he's uh, he's like, he became a Beatle fan because he would sit in the giant subwoofer. He's like, I can feel the music, <laughs> I can hear it, but he couldn't hear it, but he could, you know, like, what is that? White men, white men can't jump. That movie with uh, Woody Harrelson uh, yeah. and Wesley Snipes. Like, man, did you ever listen to Jimi Hendrix? He goes, Yeah, I listened. No, did you? Listen, or did you hear? You heard Jimi Hendrix. You didn't listen. You listen to Jimi Hendrix, but you don't hear Jimi Hendrix. You know, that, that funny back and forth they had in explaining that same thing. You are hearing something in a way that's not really your ears, right? You're hearing mm. your soul or your heart or your body is getting the vibrations of it. It speaks to you. That's with live music. We go to concerts that you don't, you can't hear anything. Anyone screaming over the PA system most of the time, mm. especially little small clubs. All you hear is the kick drum and the bass. That cut through you because yeah. that's the that low frequency is the one that penetrates everything and the acoustics of the room are shitty most of the time. So you hear the melody, but you can't hear the words. So most people are dancing to the beat of the music, the backbeat, the Beatles. Ah, you know what? It, I tell you what gets me is like if I'm walking down the street um, and I can hear the sound of someone playing music out of their window, and it might be really really faint. It's like it calls me. It's like a calling or something, you know. My ears are like, what's that? Like, I want to, I just get drawn to it, whatever it is. And it's something, you know, because I can't hear the lyric. I can't hear what's being sung and I can't hear the instruments, but I can just hear the sound, that muffled sound behind the window of music. And it, and it does do something. Yeah, if you want to be... If you want to know or working on a song or, or if there are any songwriters out there that you're trying like, well, what's going to be, you know, there's so many ways to write a song. There's so many influences and in, in ways to, to craft it. But one thing I look at a lot is if I was to play the, turn the song up, I'd do like a quick, you know, home thing on my garage band program on my Mac, you know, I can throw a quick, you know, drum and bass thing onto it and then throw the melody. And then I, then I turn up and drop all the low high ends and push the low end and put it through a speaker system and mm -hmm. see if you can, like if you're walking to a football stadium or you're going to a game and they play the music over the giant speakers, all you're really getting is the, you know, mm -hmm. that, if that's moving you and you catch it and it makes you want to move or it's hooking you, then you know the song is going to work and be because it's that, that underlying beat part that mm -hmm. needs to be established. Because you can have a really great melodic song or a really great lyrical song, but you're, the backbeat or the bass and the bass kick drum are crap and it won't your song will be shitty or it won't be as as, as not shitty could be shitty but probably is going to be shitty <laughs> it won't be as it won't be as powerful as it could have been if, if, if it was written or taken in that taken that in, into context maybe mm. so the this, backbeat so this is bringing a whole new meaning to listen to your heart when people say listen to your heart it's, it's quite yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, I'll take that, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> what is your heart saying right what, now, Katie? What does my heart say? I don't know. 
<laughs> I have to I have to tune into it, I think. I have to listen to it. I have to listen to it, see what it wants. That's actually a very um because I don't know if I think I think I told you, didn't I, that I'm I'm a counsellor. Um yes. and um I we work a lot with um the kind of counselling that I do is gestalt counselling where we work a lot with the body. So um something like This is that. the one where you put the chair in front of you and yeah. you talk to the chair yeah. as if you were that person. Yeah, yeah. Have you have you experienced that yourself? No, I just know yeah. from Pat know of it. Um, um, I don't yeah, I haven't experienced that no. Well, because um, one of the uh, the this idea, like as you just said, what's my heart saying? If it was like in a therapy session, I would I would probably literally wonder what the heart is saying and put the heart in the room in a chair and make personify it and ask it what's it saying and get a conversation going between the two people. So I might have to <laughs> I might have to do that later <laughs> with my own heart. Well, that brings up that, you know, I have this line from this song that I wrote. Oh, then I did write that. Just That was written, uh, maybe, I didn't even think about that. I wrote it for my our wedding, a, a song I sang to my wife, and, you know, at the at our, at our wedding in Australia, one of our one of our many weddings that we had across the world, and uh, with her family. And uh, I wrote this song called Song, Song, Long. I didn't even think, it's not even on my list. It was written during all this. It was about this, too, but I guess I just appropriated it to the wedding song. But... Uh, the song song long is like everyone has their song song long. It's like a, it's a it's a noun I created. Like that's your life's song, your mm-hmm. your own song 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 long. You know, and, and it has that part of the chorus. But there's the line of the second verse goes, "I have got a picture of, on my sleeve of a heart that once had believed in the long long." Mm-hmm. So it's like that reference of like you wear your heart in your sleeve. And I thought it was like, I just like that lyric. It always stuck with me. I was like, oh, that's a good one there. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. I say it a lot within like one sentence. You now you go figure out, interpret it. Yeah. I got a picture on my sleeve of a heart that once believed in the long, long. Um, has a lot in it that you can uh, take from it. Yeah. Um, but going back to what you said, it ties into the you know what is the heart saying, and the, you know that expression. We have a lot of expressions about you know the heart, and, and you know it's inside. You listen to it, what, how you wear it, what it is in your body, that type of thing. Mm. It's so important. There's there's a lot of phrases like that, um, that have that we use them in common use. You know, common parlance. We tend to have these phrases that can almost become cliche. But then when you break them down, they've got a real. They're really rooted in something quite um spiritual. I find. I don't, I don't know if you've noticed that, but I mean that's an example of one. But I remember once saying something like. Uh, oh, I feel like everything's up in the air, which is just, you know, a, a throwaway expression. But um, as I said it, my whole sort of body just, my my feet just started uh, swinging up in the chair and my body actually went up in the air. And um, I thought a bit, you know, what does that actually mean, being up in the air? And you kind of like break them down. and it, Or when people say, um, what does your gut feel? Because your gut is everything, right? And um, can't my think. gut tells me I'm hungry. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> hungry. Yeah. Are you hungry now? Oh no. No, I say the yeah, but the uh, it is yeah. It's the thing of the the joke back to the cultural. Like, what is your gut telling you? It's like, give me ginger juice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's loads of like that. Um, 
I can't, they don't spring to mind right now, but there, there were loads I remember that at one point thinking about that they, they actually have quite a lot of meaning behind them. So, yeah, like, I like that connection you made to music. And well, it's the... using all those, you know, what are, what are those things called? Those are um, the, the little turns of, turns of phrase or, fr or phrase, you know, uh, a euphemism or a idiom. Yeah. All those, those little bits that, you know, a saying that comes along. You know, it's, it passes through every generation. Everyone knows it yeah. because it's like it's a neat little way of wrapping up with the English language. You know, yeah. you know, uh, a hand in a bush is worth two in. Or is that, is that how the expression goes? Oh, yeah. I never do that one, uh -huh. and I never understood that one. I had to look it up because yeah. I use those in songs so much. I'm always, you know, the, the most way to connect to people, I think, and I, I talk in those phrases anyways. You know, so there's nothing more general and connects with people than those phrases. So I, I find them that they pop up in my songwriting a lot. Yeah. Um, like even like Simon says, or some might say, you know, up in the air, these 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 things yeah. are are real. Just like cut right through, no bullshit. Yeah. Strip away. It just and everyone knows that inherent meaning is. It's not a lot of interpretation. Yeah. Which I think is more connecting, anyway. So you know, if you're looking for a way to get messages across when you're mm. writing or something like that. Um, I say go with that. Yeah. So, I mean, even music, so musically it works. So, like, I guess, I mean, I'm not a musician, so, you know, I only ever really do Well, music. after this one, you're going to be I'm picking like, up that yeah, guitar. This is true. I've you got know. to play, learn the guitar. The you drum. and the guy, JC, from Oasis Podcast. Yeah. You and I, the three of us, will start an internet band from across the world. Oh, brilliant. That would be, <laughs> this is the way forward for music, I think. Cross-transatlantic well, cro um, band creation. We'll call it Across the Pond. Across the There's pond. another one of those words, <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is cool. Let's see if he's up for that. <laughs> um... Yeah, I was just thinking though, like, because I always listen to music, because I, I, although I learned some instruments when I was younger, like I learned the piano, but I don't class myself as a musician, so when I hear songs, I hear them very emotionally, and I, when I think about the songs that I'm drawn to, um, they tend to be quite melodic, and they, they tend to be of a genre, like you described, they tend to be more of the rock and roll kind of genre. So I thought about, you know, if, as we were talking about before, certain phrases that people are used, maybe there's something about certain phrases in music that are handed down over generations that are chiming with something inside, and that, you know, there's, there's something, there's some formula to this. Um, well, I look at, I mean, I grew up with Irish music in the household for the Irish side of my one grandfather's, you know, the Irish Rovers and all these songs. Like, the Irish got that awesome, and that's why I love that side of um, the gene pools that has melody just inherently built into their culture in a way that doesn't need lyrics. It's the melody. They, yeah. Their lyrics are all Gaelic and shit, but, you know, that it's that it's that communal sing-song. Everyone's singing yeah. a song together. Um, and... That's a big part, I think, of rock and roll, having that in, in there is like having a catchy chorus, the sing-along chorus is needed to bring people together to make a song huge. And, mm -hmm. and I think it's, you know, massive. Yeah. But, you know, you know, back to like, you know, what's going on here with the, you know, with the project, I suppose, you know, mm -hmm. we, we have, uh, you know, it's so great to have it, right? And we're, we haven't launched, it's been three weeks. We're going to have nothing more but, you know, good and positive, you know, feedback from people and, and helping people. And well, you, you, um, 
you spoke about having therapy and, and you mentioned that in a way once the doctors have finished their job they kind of go off so was there is there a process involved for you I know it might differ between America and the UK but generally speaking if, if someone's in this situation and they are seeking um, that therapy that you're that you've got at the minute like how, how might they go about it and what what might the mental health steps be that they could take? I would say wholeheartedly and as good as you can get in a small, succinct answer is mindfulness techniques. Mm -hmm. The mindfulness, meditating with mindfulness. Now, the meditation thing was able to have learned it because I'd never done it before. And I was like, well, of course, the Beatles going to Rishikesh in India. And, you know, meditation was a huge part of their thing is like I always kind of like you know that's one part like I never you know I'm not gonna do that well I, I you know it was wrong because it became a huge part of my life mm. and learning about the be here now uh, essence of the mindfulness technique it's about being in that exact split second in time that you exist in mm. and focusing on that and not about the anxieties which are you know what is to come and depression what has happened those, those, you know, fears and anxieties and, and, and feelings that come and interject into our every waking moment and thought while our mind is active, you don't, you meditate to not have those control you for that little small section of time. Mm -hmm. And you're focusing on the moment that you exist and be, you know, and, and existing on your breath, following your breathing techniques. And that was the technique you just, you, you focus on your in and out of the air going in your lungs and out of your lungs. And it clears your head and it dissipates the anxiety and takes a lot of the stress and stuff that I was having after the survi after surviving. In, in the post-treatment world, that led into the therapy because I, once I learned about that and I was like, I had my insurance, I could go see a therapist and, you know, I found, I had to go through a couple of them. So I found one that had experience with the cancer survivors and had experience with the, the, the thoughts and feelings that I was dealing with mm -hmm. and, and the PTSD had, 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 had experience with, um, trying to cure that as well. And so that was, that was the, the hardest part was finding someone that worked well because mm -hmm. everybody, you know, no matter what you're, you're with a therapist, it's how you interact with them. Mm -hmm. And there is just, that's it's human nature, man. There's some people out there you're just not going to get on with, mm -hmm. or they don't hear what you're trying to tell them. Or it just wasn't the right fit for what was going on with you and what they, what they have as as coping mechanisms and tools to teach you. Everyone, there's diff a lot of different versions of it out there. Mm -hmm. So I'm ex I'm excited to go and look into this Gestalt thing that you were talking about because I know of it, but I don't know much about it. Yeah. And I'm always open. Just being open to new techniques is, and wanting to go and find it yourself. You have to put the time in. I'm going to look this up. Yeah. I'm going to do the research. Well, I, I definitely. I mean, I would. I guess I would say I recommend it because I, because I am one. But, um, <laughs> but you know, because you, you talk about be here now, and be here now is actually part of the Gestalt sort of um idea, which is kind of why I love the fact that I'm a Gestaltist because, because it connects. Everything always comes back to Oasis with me. So, <laughs> but there's a um. I love you know the biggest part of it is about um, in the therapy room and being alive in the moment between therapist and client. So you, what was I saying? <laughs> I've got lost. 
It's about you're talking about the be about, be here now, and yeah. I, I think that was subconscious, Katie. It Come on, right. you know, you're like, oh yeah, be here now. Like, why does this feel so? I'm into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, it was. Um, it's about sort of in that moment because people tend to talk with their heads a lot, so they'll talk about things and they'll talk about what's happened in the past, or they'll talk about you know they'll be stuck in something. But by focusing on the experience in the moment, like what's happening to your body right there and then in that moment, like you said earlier, what what's your heart saying? It focuses this awareness into yourself and it puts you in the now. And in that moment, you become very alive. And Gestalt is a lot, it's very much about being alive and being in the moment. And, and that's why I think you, you might, quite enjoy that approach because I, I think of it as quite a rock and roll way of doing therapy. I was just going to say that. This <laughs> sounds like some rock and roll therapy. Yeah. Sign me up. Yeah. Because there is no greater feeling than feeling alive yeah. and feeling and feeling free. Yeah. Free spiritually in your soul and physically. I mean, you know, I took that for granted and walk around, you know, I'm just life. I just go about. There was nothing. And now the sense that I can't walk. And then that then it came back, and I can kind of like I can move and do from place to place. I like I physically was restricted, and I, <laughs> every time after that, I saw people in wheelchairs. I go up, a man, I know I, I get it. I, I, being stuck in the house and can't go out, it's I'm like what a shit thing. Um, and and being able to have to deal with that and accept it, and in the end, the the, the part that just can't stress this stress this enough. This is the the. The, the key at the end of the, the yellow brick road when I got to the point that everything finally became okay and it took a year to two, almost two years two years it's not it's not a long time but it's not a short time especially when you're doing it every day to be okay with what happened to me and to be able to sit with myself and think about what I am now and what my limitations are and what my restrictions are and I'm okay with it I'm okay I'm like this was meant to happen, and I made the best of what happened. And I can be like, man, I'm okay. It's gonna be tough, it's gonna be a different world, but I'm gonna manage because I have to. I'm okay.